the little epistle of Jude. We were here last week and we covered so much ground it would probably be impossible for me to even try and give you a brief idea that would be of value maybe to where we are for this week. But I hope to give you a quick run-in and if you want you can get a download or CD. It's online also or get a CD if you want from here. Of course everything's free of charge. Feel free to avail yourself of one. But as we read this, I want you to realize that we're looking at the state of the world, the state of our nation, and the state of many hearts at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read a little epistle of Jude, starting from verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, Lord, just to settle our hearts. We ask you, Father, that when all is said and done and sung this evening, that hearts would be touched that your children would be encouraged, but maybe someone who has not yet come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that tonight, Lord, they would realize their need of him and would be born again of the Spirit, washed in the blood of the Lamb. We worship you and we love you. We adore you. We magnify you, Jesus. And it's all about you, Lord. So have your way this evening. And glorify your Son. Father, we ask it in his name. Amen. Notice there's a little telltale sign in verse 18. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time. There should be mockers in the last time. The last time, the latter years, or the last days in the scripture speaks chiefly of the days, especially in the run-in to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These times, especially mentioned in verse 18, it tells us that in these times that men will be mockers of the word, mockers of God's people, mockers of the gospel, and mockers at the thought of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. You know, we looked last week and we told you how that the book of James 
talks of how the Lord will return again. It says that the Lord is at hand. And we looked at it last week, we haven't time to go into it, but how James is the brother of Jude. And Jude being the brother of James is the half-brother on Mary's side, as it were, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the elder brother who has died, and James who did not believe that Christ was Redeemer and Messiah. Obviously, growing up in his household, he sees his elder brother and knows him. But after the crucifixion of Christ, and the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, we're told that the Lord Jesus, bodily resurrected, stands before James. And James becomes, if you want, the leader of the church of God, which was in Jerusalem at that time. And we looked at all that last week, and again, I can't go into it, but we've seen how there were certain things that were laid out in Scripture, how James mentions the coming of Christ. His brother Jude mentions the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked again then at Jude's epistle, and if you will look at it with me, please, and let your eye go down, run down to verse 6, rather, excuse me, verse 5. He says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the generation that came out of Egypt from Is- of the Israelites that were saved or delivered in the mighty hand of God, their unbelief, though shown sign and wonder throughout the years, provided for by God. They came into unbelief. They set up bull calves to worship. And they did not enter the promised land. They were destroyed because of unbelief. And of course, the younger generation, and only of that generation, were Caleb and Joshua, who would lead them in and into victory. Notice again in verse 6. speaks, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Here we have last week, we've shown you how there was a war in heaven. We have read it from the book of Revelation. Again, you'll have to get a CD or listen to it another way. But there was a war in heaven and Michael and the angels of God fought against these rebellious angels, cast them out of heaven, we're told, to the earth. And of course, Jude tells us God oversees, it's not literal chains they're bound in, but God in his sovereignty and in his power oversees their every movement bound under the authority of God until the great day, Revelation chapter 20, that is the great white throne judgment. And of course, also, that would be when the books are opened and those who are not found written in the book, we're told we're cast into the lake of fire. So then let's go to the next verse, verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. 
Here we looked at last week how Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels of God who were in Lot's house and the men of Sodom came with homosexual tendencies to know the men. That means as Adam knew his wife Eve, wanted to know the men. And because then uh, Lot offered his daughters, we know it was also of a sexual contact context. And so we looked at that last week. God rained down fire upon the cities. But notice, we always think of Sodom and Gomorrah. But in this verse, it says the cities about them also. And how ungodly company and working as it were in the things of the word. I mean in your secular work now. I mean applying yourself to the things of the word. And how it can infiltrate the mind and the heart and cause you to see that which is not unnatural and that which is not normal become normal and natural. We see it in our nation today. And we are plied with it every single day of the week. Whether it's on radio or on television or wherever. That these things are natural. God rained down fire, we are told. And again, we can't go into it too much this evening. But look what it says it is set forth, or set forth for an example. The term here, or set forth for an example, is the word prokime. And it means to be exposed. God has exposed this sin. And God has set forth what he has done. Whether it was an unbelieving Israel, or whether it was the fallen angels, or here, whether it was Sodom and Gomorrah, God has set them forth for the last time, for you and for me in our day, looking for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may know that the time is at hand when the King is coming. Men and women will mock us, and men and women will hate us for the gospel and for the truth of God's word. And nevertheless, we must stand upon the word And we must never be politically correct at the expense of God's eternal word. Here we have the Lord showing us, setting forth an example that means to expose. Gives the idea of going to a buffet. Now when I met my wife and I was from Belfast, it was a buffet. But I'm told it's a buffet now. Okay. So it was going to a buffet. A buffet. And looking at all the food and you see it all displayed and set before you. And you can see where everything is laid out. This is the idea why the Lord has laid it on Jude's heart to place this before you and I. One, to warn the ungodly that they must be born again. To call upon our nation and tell them they must get right. For the bridegroom is coming and the bride must be adorned in her garments and ready for his second coming. And it's to tell you and I that no matter how hard it gets, no matter how dangerous it gets, no matter how stressful it gets being a born-again Christian, a believer in Christ, not to fear, not to worry, not to stress, not to throw the hands up nor give up, for Christ is at hand. He is nigh, even at the doors. The King is coming. He's coming, and he's coming soon. The idea is that you will be built up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Ghost, as Jude says, and you will be alive unto God, and you will love Jesus. All the more for when we see him, 
We shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. Here is the idea that Christ is coming, and we must be ready. It's been displayed. Remember, I also give you the, the idea that it's laid out before us. It gives the idea of a man or a woman who has passed away. They're laying in the casket or the coffin, and you come to pay your respects. You look at them, and as I said last week, sometimes you stir so much, you think they winked at you. Did they move? You know that sort of feeling? That's the idea that you have to study it, see it, analyze it, look at it, then realize it and say the king is coming. Christ is at hand. And I trust that you are saved and that you're ready for his return. So here's where we go to. The word here, for example, also means something that is held up as a view to a warning. Something that is held up as a view to a warning. So it's a warning that we must preach. It's a warning to tell our society, to tell our nation. It's a warning to tell your loved ones. Jesus is coming soon and they will mock you. How do you think I feel when I'm up here telling people Jesus is coming soon? How do you think people like myself feel when we're online around the world saying that Jesus is coming soon and people are mocking you and saying you're an idiot and you're stupid. You're a fool. We're a fool for Christ's sake and we're unashamed of it. But Jesus is coming soon. He is now even at the doors. Here we have the the, the let out, the spread out. Things that happen for a warning and an example for you and I this evening and for the entire world and our nation which has fallen deeply into sin, that Christ is at hand. I want to just look at this before we go further. We looked at last week at how this war in heaven between the angels, and how they're reserved to the great day, that is the day of judgment, and how they're reserved and there's no reprieve for them. And I asked you to grasp hold of this and I'm asking you again to really zoom in, to really pay attention, to really draw yourself close to me as it were at the minute because these angels have no reprieve. There's no advocate for them. There's no barrister to stand up. There's no help nor hope for these angels who were cast out of heaven and went with Lucifer who is now Satan. There is no Help for them. No reprieve. But if you're not saved tonight, there's a reprieve for you. Because God himself came and shed his blood for you. And died on the cross of Calvary for you. No reprieve for the angels here. And we looked at it high in 1 Peter 1 and 12 it says, Of these things, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels in heaven or the angels of God. It's strange how tonight also that Justified sang that song and it pricked my ears up the first one. And I can't remember the line of it, but it's like there's a sky of angels. Is it watching over me? And here is a sky, as it were, a heavenly host of angels. And they are watching and looking and can't understand how the fallen angels of no reprieve, yet depraved Helpless, hopeless mankind fallen with the genes of Adam in the garden. There's reprieve for them. For God himself clothed himself, hung himself on the cross and went to the tomb, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven and he shed his blood for me. 
This is the idea that there's a reprieve on the angels of God. Look into these things with desire. How come there's a reprieve for you tonight? When you and I are unworthy, Christian, rejoice that Christ has came and you've got a reprieve from hellfire. It's something to rejoice about. That you and I will never stand in that judgment. Because Jesus paid it all. Here we have the angels desiring to look into those things. Is there any wonder that on that Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, that golden box we preached on a few weeks ago, and the mercy seat or the lid on it and the cherubims were facing one another, and it said their heads were meant to be tilted down looking upon the lid, for that was mercy. They looked upon mercy, and then the blood was sprinkled. They looked upon mercy, and they looked upon the blood, and we're told that between those two cherubim angels on that mercy seat, the glory of God came down, saw the blood, and it was accepted for Israel. And there was the mercy, and there was the blood, and there was the power of God, and there was the guilty sinner with the breastplate of judgment and the stones for the twelve tribes of Israel standing there, and between him and his death was the blood of the Lamb. Just the blood of the Lamb. Now, is it any wonder those angels on the box looked down like this because they were desiring to look upon the blood? Oh, if the blood would just be able, if the blood was applied, if the blood was shed for those angels, but it wasn't, it was shed for Adam's race. It was shed for you. Luke 15 and 10, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. Over one sinner that repents. Is it any wonder? They're desiring to look and then suddenly they see someone, maybe you tonight will repent. And they see someone saying, I need Jesus. And they're looking into it and they're looking into it with desire. The idea is they crave after it. And they're craving to know more about the blood of Jesus and God's great redemption and salvation plan. And as they desire it and as they crave it and a sinner turns from their sin unto God, are born again, washed in the blood, filled with the Holy Ghost, and the angels start to rejoice in heaven. Another one has come into the kingdom. There's another one in. Is it any wonder Jesus said that? At the end, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. That's my introduction for this evening. Now we'll get down to brass tacks for a while. In our reading tonight, in verse 14, it says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Notice what he says. Enoch now. Now they say that Jude had taken the writings from what was known as the book of Enoch. Uh, they had some parchments, and the parchment that they mainly had was Enoch chapter 1, verse 9, which this was written on. And others say they found the full, it's meant to be the, the full writing of the book of Enoch as well. But nevertheless, some say it was oral tradition in Israel to talk about Enoch. Look, Enoch says the Lord's coming. Enoch says, behold, the Lord's coming with ten thousands of his saints. Enoch says, 
So they start to speak, and God moves upon Jude's heart, and he says, remember this oral tradition, or remember what it says here. And he starts under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. The word behold here, let's just let me break this down for you. The word behold here is the word edu. And it means simply, now looky here. Now looky here. Behold or edu means now look this way. But it also means this. It gives the idea of shock, awe, wonder, surprise. Behold! That's the way it goes. The Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. John the Baptist seen in the Lord Jesus Christ at the River Jordan. It's the same word and he goes, Behold the Lamb of God. In other words, he has come. He's here. The one to shed his blood. The Redeemer of Israel and the Savior of the world. Behold the Lamb. Stand in awe and wonder. Be shocked and amazed at him. For only in this man is salvation and redemption and righteousness and justification and the forgiveness of sins. He is heaven personified. That's the idea of this. Remember the Lord in the week coming up to his crucifixion goes into Jerusalem. He sees a fig tree and he goes to get fruit and there's no fruit on it. He curses it. And it's emblematic of the fig tree of Jewry. Jury rejecting Christ, so they rejected him, he rejected them, and he walks over, there's no fruit on it, he curses it. The next day, walking into Jerusalem again, Peter sees it. Now, these trees are some 20, 30 feet high. People think they're wee bushes. And it's withered up to nothing. And Peter shouts, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest. He's going, Master, look what's happened to that fig tree. This is unbelievable. This doesn't happen. He's amazed at it. He's in shock and awe at it. Behold, he said. Here is the same word Jude uses. Behold, the Lord cometh. You see when Christ returns. Do you see the sky that you'd see a plane as a little dot in? Flying across with the trail of the jet engine going across the sky. That will be like nothing compared to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every part of our skies will roll back like a scroll and he will appear. And from one end of the space or our skies to the other will be filled with myriads and myriads and myriads, 10,000 upon 10,000 and thousands of thousands of his angels. And those who were desiring and, uh, and wanting to know about the salvation of men are now going to partake in the gathering of his elect. Lord, let us have one little part in this salvation plan. Can you imagine those angels? Let us have one little part, Lord. And he says, oh, salvation's all of me, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you a job to do. And brethren, sisters, you have a job to do for Jesus. 
Can you prove this? Yes. Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24. If you want to turn to it, verse 29 or 30, we'll just look and see where it is. Yep. Matthew 24. Let's just go to verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in, the he- in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, one from one end of heaven to the other. Notice that. He'll send forth his angels and you'll be walking about or you'll be at work or you'll be standing somewhere. You'll be hiding in a cave. I don't know where we'll be at that time. But he will say, go and get my children. And the big angel will come and say, you're coming with me. Let's go. (laughs) And we shall be changed in a moment. How do you know 1 Thessalonians 4? Let's look at it while we're here then. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, please. Oh, bless his name. Gonna to have to settle myself down. I'm getting excited again, aren't I? Hey, praise the name of Jesus. Sure, how can you not when you think that you've been redeemed from such a terrible, terrible judgment that lies ahead of us? Oh, how He loves us! First Thessalonians chapter four, please. And just for time's sake, let your eye run down to verse thirteen. But I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or who have, who are dead. In other words. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep or died in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Here he's telling us that the angels will come with him in his glory. And he will send them to all who are still alive on the earth that is coming, who have trusted in Christ, and they will gather his elect and take them up into the air. We shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We will have our new coat, our new body, our new heavenly house put upon us. We will return with Christ and rule and reign with Jesus. Now that's what's happening to every blood-washed and blood-bought believer tonight. If you're saved That is your destiny in Jesus. The Lord says in Matthew 25 and 31, that when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate one from the other as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. I trust that you believe in Christ tonight. That you're a saved sheep. That you're a saved sheep. So the Lord is coming. And he's coming to gather his elect. Let's go back to the little book of Jude, please. The little book of Jude. Notice what he says here. 
Let's go to verse 15 just for the moment. He's coming to do what? Notice, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Four times in one verse, ungodly appears. Four times in one verse, ungodly is mentioned. And what is coming upon those who are ungodly? Well, maybe look at that in a moment. Just bear with me. Well, let's look first of all what Christ is doing. Judas saying to us that Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Redeemer, Jesus the King, Jesus the Judge, Jesus the Almighty God in flesh is coming to earth to do what? First of all, to execute judgment. To execute judgment. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly. The term here to execute judgment is the word poio, and it means to bond together or to bring about. It gives the idea that Jesus will bring, as it were, a case or will show proof against every single man and woman of their worthiness or their unworthiness before him. That all of those things that we think are hidden, all of those sins that have been buried in the past, all of those things that we didn't even know we had committed, all of those little secret sins, Jesus will know every single last one of them. And it means he will bring them together and he will display your life before you. And you will not be able You will have no way to stand. You will not be able to stand against his judgment and ruling. That's the idea, to execute judgment. The word poio means to make, to bond together, to bring about. In other words, no one, no one will be able to say, that's not me. He's coming to convince, secondly, to convince all that are ungodly. To convince all that are ungodly. Do you see the word here for convince? The word for convince here is a word. And it gives the idea that it's not just I'm going to tell you, can I convince you of your ungodliness? Can I convince you to do something? It means far more than that. The word convince means to convict thoroughly. To rebuke as to bring a sinner to a conviction or a confession of their sin. In other words, when he lays it out, he will say, what do you think? What are you worthy hereof? Friend, what will you say? What will you say? If you're washed in the blood of Jesus, If you're trusting in Christ, you will stand at what's known as the Bema Seat, not the great white throne. You'll stand at the Bema Seat to receive reward or maybe loss. Not salvation loss, no. But positional gain or loss. And when you stand there, 
No devil, no man, no woman, not even the Lord himself will bring your sin up to you if you're saved, if you're blood-washed, if you're forgiven, if you're trusting in Christ. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will cleanse you from all your sin. And as God looks upon you, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But at the Bema Seat Christian, you may be looked at where your calling was and how you effectively or ineffectively carried out your calling. That's a different thing. But if you're not saved, you'll stand with no hope. And you'll stand on your own. You'll stand on your own. The idea here to convince, let me give you one example. We'll run on and try and wrap this up for you. In Acts 18 and 28, Apollos, he's speaking to the Jews and it says he convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Apollos came to the scriptures. That is, the scriptures then are the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament was being written. He was taking part in it. And it shows them all of the references to the coming of Christ, pointing to Christ, showing them Christ. And he's saying, who is this then? And who is that? And who's that one there? I remember when a pastor down in Dublin and there was a Jew looking in the door of the church like this. And there's a big sign, must we have worthy the lamb here? It said, he is risen. And he seen me and he run out. He must have thought he was going to attack him or something. And I got out into the street and he says, hold on, friend, what's wrong? And he says, I'm just looking in. I said, well, come on in. He says, no, no, I've seen he is risen. And then I realized it was a church. I says, but he is risen. Let me tell you more about him. And he said, I'm a Jew. I says, well, then let me tell you who Messiah is. I opened up Isaiah 53. For he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of his all. And I said, tell me who he's speaking of. He took about two steps back on the footpath. He near went on to the main road. That's in Stephen's Green in Dublin. And he says, that's not in my book. That's not in my book. I says, well, I don't know what you're reading. For that is the prophet Isaiah. Who's the prophet speaking of? And he ran away. I trust tonight that we are convincing you that Christ is your only saviour. And this is set forth as an example, a warning to yourself, to our nation, and to the world that the king is coming. He's coming. If you're not saved, the Bible shows us what has happened in a, an earthly, local area of the world. What will it be like when he comes fills the skies. The word ungodly, I'll just say this a little bit about ungodly and I'll finish. But the word ungodly is a strange word. And we know what ungodliness is and things that maybe not be right. 
to our thinking of someone who's ungodly, but that's not ungodliness. Ungodliness starts by the rejection of Jesus. And the rest of you is just ungodly. And the word ungodly here gives the idea of those who are, uh, have no, you listening to this now, reverential awe. They have no reverential awe of God. And because they have no reverential awe of God, their life pours out, shows forth, and puts out fruit of ungodliness, like unbelief of the Israelites that were delivered out of Egypt. Like the angels who rebelled against God in heaven or in glory. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, who fell into a pit of filth and sin. And now you see what's happening in our nation. Our nation has become a pit of filth and sin. Ungodly. Christ is returning. Christian, can I ask you something? Have you got a reverential awe about your Savior? Have you got a reverential awe? Do you stand in awe of him? Verse 15 says that God is coming. And he mentions at the end of verse 15 of our reading of all the ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I think of comedians who blaspheme the name of our Lord and speak against him. Television hosts and uh, different sort of stars or whatever, celebrities, the one for another word in this world, who refuse to believe and acknowledge there's a God, who refuse to believe in Christ. In fact, there's a, a woman, she lives in the States, her name's Zimmerman, she's a, a Jewess, and she's a comedian. But she wasn't funny when she said this. And she went on a rant for maybe 10, 15 minutes on how I myself, the expletives in it, are ridiculous. It was sent for me to say, what do you think of this? The expletives from this woman's mouth was vulgar and vile. She spat against heaven and said, if Jesus were alive today, I'd kill him myself and cut his throat. I see people like that. See when he comes. If he finds them like that, or even people who are religious and don't want the Lord himself, they'll come under the same banner as the ungodly. There are ungodly teachers and ungodly preachers and they don't hold up Jesus 
And the Lord will deal with them at his return, but all Christ haters and Christ rejecters will meet with the Christ they didn't believe in. So before the great day of verse 6, before the eternal fire of verse 7, in this last time of verse 18, and before the executed judgment of verse 15, there's still hope for the ungodly. You know what Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 tells us? For when we, yes, believer, you and me, you and I, when I was getting up to my things and living my life and my ungodliness, couldn't save myself and pickled with alcohol and drugs, living in the world, couldn't help myself. And when I was like that, just like other people who reject Christ today, when I was living in that state, it says, for we were yet without strength in due time. Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see those people out there? They're not to be condemned. They're already condemned because they believe not in the Son of God. They're being convinced that Christ is coming. The day of the Lord is at hand. And Christ has a great day and an eternal judgment for all the lost. The ungodly and the sinner shall be cast into the lake of fire. Oh, what dread. We don't say that with joy nor glee. We say it with dread. We love your soul. We love your heart. We love you as a person. But Jesus loves you more. Jesus loves you more. He gave his life for you. God and the ungodly the second coming of Christ. If our nation could just hear, imagine having prime minister's questions and being able to just tie them all up and run in and say, what about this prime minister? And getting the air time to do that. If you're not saved tonight, get right with God. Get right with him. Come and see us. May God bless you. For Jesus' name's sake. Justified when you come.